Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Why don't you pull out your notes for today's message? Um, I want to talk with you today about why we need each other in the body of Christ. And speaking of being together as the body of Christ, this Wednesday, if you're a part of our church family and have been for a while, you know we have what we call First Wednesdays now. We've been doing this for about four or five months. The first Wednesday of every month, we, we don't go to classes. We combine together here in the auditorium and, and we seek God together. I mean, we are seeing miracles happen and God's blessing fall upon us. We worship together. It's not a preaching service. It's a worship service. It's a service where we focus on prayer and seeking God, and it has been a marvelous, marvelous time. So that's this Wednesday at 7 o'clock here in the auditorium. So if you normally come to Wednesday nights, uh, don't go to your class. You come right into here. Uh, But if you don't normally come on Wednesday nights, I want to invite you to be here Uh, We need you to pray with us, to seek God with us. I think the Lord is moved by God's people when they seek his face. And and so I really want to see a a great crowd on Wednesday night, and I hope that you'll be with us this Wednesday. You know, uh, as a a Pentecostal kid, I grew up uh, cutting my spiritual eye teeth on the second book of the chapter of Acts, uh, the book of Acts, rather, uh, second chapter of the book of Acts. And... uh, That is the portion of scripture that talks about the first powerful encounter of the Holy Spirit upon God's people. Jesus is now resurrected, and he's ascended to the Father, and he said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. He told this to his disciples, uh, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in great power. And that happened in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And so I cut my spiritual eye teeth on that uh, because... That, that's something that was emphasized in our lives as children growing up and as, as young people. And, and verse number four of Acts chapter two, it ends those first four verses by saying, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I want you to know that we at Life Church believe in that. We believe that God is still doing that in his people, that for those who are hungry and thirsty for more of God, there's an empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit, that it's not just business as usual, it's an overcoming power, and and I believe that God has that for every single one of his children who desire for this to happen in their lives. But I'm not going to be talking about that today. Because just like Acts chapter 2 has a first half, it also has a second half. And it's in the second half that we find out that we learn what we as the body of Christ are supposed to be. What does Jesus expect us to be like in 2017? It's interesting that really it's no different than what he expected his church to be like in the first century. We still have the same call of God upon us to be this kind of people, devoting ourselves to these kinds of things. And so let's read what God says we as his church are supposed to be like in the latter part of Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. They devoted themselves, talking about all the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, and all the believers who were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. This is, you know, the world out there. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I want us to go back to verse number 42 because it says here that they devoted themselves to four specific things. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is doctrine. Now, I know doctrine doesn't, isn't a real exciting word. But doc, you've got to know doctrine. Over and over again, the Bible says, be not deceived. If you don't know the truth, you can be deceived. So it's very important that you understand what God's Word has to say about the fundamentals of faith. And it may be different than what you've been taught in the past or what you hear out there. But believe God's Word because that's the, that's the solid foundation upon which you establish your life. They committed themselves also to something called fellowship, and we're going to focus on that in this message, so we'll get to that in just a little bit. Number three, they focused them, their, themselves on the breaking of bread, and this was communion together. In fact, on Wednesday night at First Wednesday, we're going to be doing communion together as a fellowship where we take the, the bread and, the, and the, the, the wine and we celebrate the death of our Lord. And there is a, a powerful promise that comes to us from that of God moving into our lives as his people uh, give themselves to worshiping him through the act of communion. That'll be taking place on, on Wednesday evening this week. And then also they committed themselves to prayer, which of course is prayer. And there are a couple of observations then that I want to make from verse number 42 that I think are really important. First of all, you'll notice that the Bible says they devoted themselves to these four things. And the word devoted here literally means to be earnest towards something, to persevere, to be constantly diligent, to give oneself continually to. So there's the idea here that, that this word is saying that there will be times that you'll have to persevere in your diligence and devotion of God. That's because serving Jesus isn't always easy. You've got to fight through the hard times. Everybody has to do that. If you're going to be strong in faith, you've got to work to the position of strength. So you have to devote. You get kind of the feel of all of this uh, from other translations of the New Testament. The, the King James Version uses these words, they continued steadfastly, all right? They didn't give up on it. NASB is New American Standard Bible. They were continually devoting themselves. So it was a renewing action. It's not something they did on Sunday. They did it every day of their lives. They devoted themselves to these things. Uh, the, the Message Bible says they committed themselves to it. And the Amplified Bible says they steadfastly persevered. Again, anything worthwhile will require effort. So it gives us the idea that the early church believers were undivided in their attention. They were fully committed to something that 
because of that, revolutionized the world in which they were, they were living. And the things that they devoted themselves to were four primary things we've already talked about. The apostles' teaching, to fellowshipping with one another, to breaking of bread in each other's homes, and, and also in, in communion, and also then to prayer. Now, the second observation I want to bring from this particular verse uh, is, is uh, the things, of the four things that they devoted themselves to, I want us to look at number two in particular. And it's what verse 42 calls the fellowship, or just the word fellowship. So they were devoted for, to these four things, but I want us to focus on the word fellowship. And the, war, the word fellowship means much more than just being together. Now, we are all together in this room, but that does not mean that we're having fellowship with each other, right? We're together, but we're not necessarily having fellowship. Some of you had that in the hallways before coming in. You had it in a little bit of a greeting time. You'll have it on the way out. But being together in a room does not necessarily mean that fellowship is taking place because the truth is most of us are staring at the back of someone's head that we don't even know. We don't know their name. We don't know their needs. We don't know their life. We, 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 we may know them by face. We may not even know that. So just being in the same room at the same time does not mean we're fulfilling this idea of fellowship. The Greek word translated fellowship here is, is a word that's fairly familiar to Christians who've been in, in faith for a while. And so maybe you've heard this word before, but this Greek word is the word koinonia, koinonia, which means to have in common. All right, so what that means is in spite of differences, we focus on what we have in common, all right? So that's what brings us together is to focus on what we, are, what we have in common. And then secondly, to be together in tight relationship. Keyword there is tight, because that's talking about something that's unbreakable, an unbreakable relationship. Now, in this case, I think that the Message Bible probably gives us a, a real clear understanding of what these, these early believers devoted themselves to. It says that they devoted themselves to life together. I love that. They devoted themselves to life together. They did life together. That means that they were like family with one another. That's why sometimes I'll call you brother, and sometimes I'll call you sister. Of course, I call men brother and women sister, you know. I haven't called any of the brothers sister. You get me. Well, anyway, so we call each other brothers and sisters, not usually a whole lot, but occasionally we'll do that because we em we're emphasizing the family structure that we have together. And, and I know some of you probably grew up in really bad families. You, the family conjures up all kinds of ne negative images in your mind. So I'm not talking about family in the most negative sense. I'm talking about family in the purest sense, in the best sense of what God wants the family to be. I've had relationships in the body of Christ that were koinonia relationships. I've had fellowship on that level with other believers. And people that you have koinonia with, 
You can share your life with them. You can open up to them. You can let them into your heart to know who you are on the deepest level. You let them see inside of you. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. In fact, it's a, it's, it's a necessary thing in our Christian lives because people who are worthy of that kind of relationship with you, they don't misuse the insight they get into your life by going around gossiping about you. People that you allow into your life like this, on this kind of a level, they stand with you when you need somebody to stand with you. They've got your back when you need somebody to have your back. They, they think the best of you. They support you. They also correct you if that's needed because all of those things are necessary within proper relationships within us as people. But I've had also connections with believers in the body. They're Christians, but they were not that way. We didn't have that kind of relationship, primarily because they were critical people. They were fault-finding believers. And you don't have fellowship with people who are like that. You tolerate people like that. Koinonia implies a biblical influence. If I'm having koinonia with you, I'm not, you know, influence happens all the time. But there's a right influence and there's a wrong influence. And koinonia means a biblical, a right, a righteous kind of influence that we can have upon one another. If I fellowship with other believers the way God intends it, positive influence is going to occur in that relationship. I'll influence you, you'll influence me. This is the way God intended for it to work. And you've got, so it brings up a real important point here that you've got to be really careful who you allow to influence you. And I say that because the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing. Many of you know that scripture. Faith comes by hearing. But I've lived long enough to discover that doubt comes from hearing too. You can be pulled down by people if you're allowed, if you allow yourself to be influenced by the wrong people long enough. So you've got to be careful who you allow to influence you, even within the body of Christ. If you hang around with the wrong crowd too much, you'll end up being like them. I, I got this letter from an inmate, and he just wanted to share. He gets my messages. We send the, the transcript of, our, of the messages here, whether it's me preaching or somebody else, to, to the inmates, to a number of it. Over 500 inmates get our, our messages here from our church, and they read them every week. And I got a letter back, and, and he was sharing with me the tragedy of, of his past life in gangs and drugs. And he told me, I couldn't believe it. He said, I have spent 36 of my years behind bars. And I thought, oh my word, how tragic is that? And he said that not long ago, he, he finally got out of prison and only to go right back to the same old crowd that he had been with before he went, that got him in the trouble in the first place. And he went right, he said, Pastor Jim, I went stupidly, I went right back to the same old gang again, and sure enough, I got back on drugs, and I got back on the wrong, you know, activity with my life, the wrong conduct, and I, here I am, back in prison again. And here's my life, just a wasted life. 
But the point, now his wife, life is not a wasted life because even in prison, God will use him as he turns himself over to the Lord. But the point I'm trying to make is that it was not God's intention that this be the outcome of his life. He allowed the influence of the wrong crowd to keep pulling him in a direction that took him down. There comes a time in your Christian life where you have to decide who and what you're going to allow into your heart to influence you. Influence is something you choose. Every one of us have influences coming at us all the time. We get it from the media, we get it from movies, we get it from TV programs, we get it from friends, we get it from books we read or magazines. We read what, I mean, it's all, and you've got to decide what you're going to allow to influence your values and influence the direction that you go with your life. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. I, I love this verse. It has really changed my verse. Do not, uh, my, my life rather, do not be misled, he says, bad company corrupts good character. And what, you know, when I read that years and years and years ago, I said, God, that's so true. It's when I allow the values of the world to get inside my heart and influence me, that's when it begins to corrupt me. I've got to decide that I'm going to allow righteous things and right things to come into my life and allow those things to be the influence upon my life and not those bad things. Because if you hang with the wrong crowd, and, and I'm talking about being with people or just being under the influence of, of television or movies or whatever uh, that's out there that leads you, the, if you, if you give yourself to that long enough, it will influence you and it will corrupt you. But when your fellowship is with the right people, their influence can be incredible. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, it's good and it's pleasant when brothers and sisters in the Lord live together in unity. That's a wonderful thing. And then he goes on in verse number three and wraps up this short little chapter by saying, it's in that unity that the Lord bestows or commands blessings upon his people. This is where the power comes. It's in not just believing in Christ and being united with Christ, but being united with one another in the body of Christ, even life forevermore. So in unity, God commands blessings and favor. In unity, God commands life. Life requires unity. I'm not talking about just being alive, but I'm talking about enjoying the blessings and the favor of God upon your life requires unity within the body of believers. But death means decay. Death will bring decay upon a body, upon a fellowship. So whether your family is a family of life or decay depends on your unity. Whether Life Church lives up to its name depends on the unity of the believers. It's not just about the guy who's up here preaching or the people up here singing or playing instruments. It depends on the unity that's happening out here within the body of Christ. And so I want to talk with you today, I'll give you uh, just three suggestions on how we can build our unity and become stronger together as the body of Christ and an expression of Christ's love to the world. Number one, You've got to work hard at knowing one another. Work hard at knowing one And you have to work hard at it because anything of value is going to require work in order to pull it off, to achieve it. Doesn't that make sense? 
So whether we're talking about a strange, uh, not a strange marriage, but a strong marriage, whether we're talking about a strong married, marriage, um, <clears throat> I could go so many places with that <laughs> slip, but we'll just let that one slide. You know, I was sharing with somebody not long ago that Carrie and I have been married 45 years. You know, that doesn't just happen because we, men and women are different and they see life differently. Men see it correctly. Uh, how many of you guys believe what I'm saying here this morning? Yeah. Okay. The rest of you guys are cowards. You, you, were, you were scared to raise your hand, you know. But, but women, they temper us, and, and, and they actually give us the wisdom to pull it off. So we, but we have differences in the way that we approach life, and we all know that, you know. And, and so if you're going to have a marriage that lasts, it, it takes work for that to happen. It doesn't just happen, you know. You, you got to make that happen. If you want to have a strong career, you got to make that happen. If you want to be physically fit, you have to work at it. If you, if, if, if you, if you want to be strong in faith, you got to if you've got, you've got to work at that. If, if we want to have a strong church, we've got to work at it. it. We've got to work, first of all, at getting to know one another. Because once a church fellowship gets above, I don't know, 150, 200, 250 people, it's easy to get lost in the crowd and to not know people and to keep it that way. And nobody knows you and you don't know anybody. Now, on any given Sunday here at Life Church, in our four services, we'll have approximately 1,200 people. Now, it's real easy with that many people to get lost in the crowd, to not know other people, and, and to kind of flow in with the, with the crowd and flow out with the crowd and never really converse and never really get to know. Now, I know you're not going to know everybody, but it's important that you know some, that you know some people who are strong in faith, who can strengthen you and build you up. We've got to work at getting to know one another. How can we have fellowship? How can we have koinonia if we don't know anybody? How, how is it possible for this unity the Bible's talking about to take place? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people are doing. So the writer freely acknowledges there are some who call themselves Christians who never connect with other believers. They, they, they skip out. But he says what we need to do is encourage one another because the day of the Lord's returning is drawing very, very near, very close. It's at hand. And the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more we're going to need one another. We need God's word. We need the spirit of the Lord. But we also need one another. So I, I met this young woman at a local store. She was a checkout person, and I was buying some stuff, and and I used my credit card, and on the back of the credit card, it says, see photo ID on it, you know. So she asked me for my photo ID, and so I just joked with her. I said, well, don't you know who I am? And she looked at me rather confused, like, maybe, well, should I know who this guy is? Uh, and, and so then I, as she was looking confused, I, I said to her, do you ever watch Channel 2 News? She still looked kind of confused at me. I have to tell you that I've pulled that same corny joke on, on different people throughout the years. And I remember I was at a restaurant downtown a number of years ago. And this lady came up, as she, there was a group of about six of us guys that were meeting together. And, and this lady came up and she wanted to see my ID. And I said the same thing to her. Well, don't you know who I am? 
And she looked confused at me, and I said, do you ever watch Channel 5 news? I used Channel 5 that time. And she looks at me, and she says, I know who you are. And she goes back into the kitchen, and pretty soon there's like five heads sticking out the door looking at me, you know. <laughs> I have no idea who they thought that I was, you know. But, well, back to the, the waitress, okay. She, uh, so I said, well, don't, do you ever watch Channel 2 News? And she said, no, I, I don't, but I do know who you are now. And I said, oh, really? It's like, oh, nuts. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I pastor this church over across town called Salt Lake Christian Center. No, <laughs> no. I, she said, no, you are, you are the pastor of Life Church. And I said, yes, I am. And so I said to her, well, what church do you go to? And she says, well, I don't go to church very much, but when I do, I come to your church. I said, well, I hope that you'll get better connected and we can see you more often and so forth. And, and that was the end of that. But you know, I got to thinking about her statement, I don't go very much, I don't go very much. Some of you here today, if you were honest, that you'd, you'd be saying the same thing. I, I really don't, you know, it's just kind of when it's convenient or when I don't have anything else better to do or whatever, you know, I'll, I'll show up, I'll go. Do you know that the, we would probably be shocked at the number if we knew the number of people that used to attend just even this church, but even taking it beyond our church, other life-giving churches in this city who no longer attend and they don't go anywhere. I don't know why. Maybe they were, they were hurt by somebody or embittered by somebody or disappointed at something or just lazy. I don't know. But they, they've quit going altogether. And my heart just goes out to them because here's what God's word says. The closer we get to the coming of Jesus Christ, prophetic events are gonna be happening in the world. Some things that, haven't been, that aren't normal are gonna start happening. And, and, what God, and I think that's the reason why Hebrews says, Hebrews 10.25 says, that the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, you hang together more because you're going to need the encouragement that comes from knowing other believers who can stand with you when you're confused, who can help explain what's going on, who can strengthen you in your faith. And so what I want to say to you is that as we get ready to move into this season where the coming of the Lord is just so, so near, we need one another all the more. And we need to be close to some of us, to, to some people in the church. So don't make it your goal to know everybody. You never will. But it is important that you know some and that you work in a devoted way to make it happen. Now, here's the second suggestion I want to give to you. It's this. Work hard at forgiving one another. You're not in a relationship very long before you're saying, I'm sorry. You know, I've had married couples who have told me that they have never had a fight. I'm talking about couples that have been married for 25 years. So we've never had a fight. I, I want to say to him, hey, do you ever talk? <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've never met two people who, who never have an argument over the course, that length of time. You're going to see life differently and you're going to, you're going to, I don't know, stuff's going to show up, you know. And, and so when we're in relationship, we, 
because we're different as husband and wife, we're, we're going to have tension at points. It's just going to be there. That doesn't have to turn into a knockdown drag out. I mean, certainly we don't want that to happen. But my point is that human beings have conflict from time to time. And we have to learn how to handle that. Now you bring that into the church world. Here's the truth. We are not all the same at Life Church. We are a lot different from one another. We have different backgrounds. Some of us are black. Some of us are brown. Some of us are white. Some of us are, are purple. I'm talking about hair color now. That's what <laughs> we come from different ethnic backgrounds, different perspectives on life. We even come from different nations of the world. That's how America is changing. Some in our church are Democrats. Some in our church are Republicans. Some in our church are independents. We're diverse. But what we have in common is Jesus Christ. We're all forgiven. And that's what we bond on. That's what, we, that's what binds us together is, is the work of the Spirit of God within our lives. And because Jesus has forgiven me the huge debt of sin that I had in my life, surely I can forgive the little that someone may have done that has hurt me through, through time or through the years. God says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Folks, that's a definition of koinonia right there. Working together, agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, uh, finding consensus, uh, working together with one mind and one purpose, being in unity. That's what he's talking about. And this is how you do it. You can't be selfish. You can't be out to impress everybody with yourself, you know. But you got to be humble. You got to think of others as better than ourselves, yourself. You know, we, we struggle with that one. But that's what God says. If you, if you put other people's needs ahead of yours, what you will end up doing is making sure that your needs are being met. By doing that, you make sure you're being taken care of. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So that's a definition of koinonia, and that's how you make koinonia happen within a church. Colossians chapter 3 gives us some more insight. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. All right, put some clothes on you. This clothing is compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bear with each other. In the King James, it'll say forbear with each other. You know what forbearance literally means? To put up with. There will be times that you will put up with me and there will be times I will put up with you. Just because we have those times in life doesn't mean we split. You see, we learn how to deal with it, and we bond together. So we do it, we bear with one another, and listen to this, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this is what I want to say. God says, Jesus says, we as his people have to be forgiving people. That's as husband and wife. That's within the family with the kids, parents with the kids, kids with the parents. Um, that's within the body of Christ. We could go on and on. 
if here in the church, if there is someone that you are in con a conflict with, get it fixed. Don't let it go on. I was talking with one of our families just yesterday. Carrie and I were sharing a, a, a particular incident of this. I can't go into the details. We don't have time. But just, just because, you know, and I felt like they owed me an apology. It's, it's, I'm, we're talking about 40 years ago. I, but, and I'm just starting out in my ministry. This is back in 1978. And I'm just starting out as a young pastor and I knew that if I allowed that issue to stay a huge issue, the devil would use it to bring me down and I would never fulfill what God wanted me to fulfill in my life just over that one issue. And so I took the initiative and asked for forgiveness for my part in the conflict. And it was amazing how I got this letter back. This is back in the days when you, you kind of wrote letters and signed them and put them in an envelope and addressed them and had a stamp on there. So it didn't happen just like this, you know. But I got a letter back from her, this woman, and she apologized for her part. And years later, Carrie and I bumped into her at the Denver International Airport, of all places. We happened to bump in. And the fellowship that we had together was like, like that. Like the conflict had never been there simply because I took initiative to bring healing to that situation, even though I didn't feel like I was the one that was totally wrong in the whole deal. And that's what I want to say to you. Even if you feel like you weren't, that they owe you an apology, you take the first step, and you'll be amazed at what God does with that, and then what he does with it going forward in the days ahead. Number three, work hard at believing the best about each other. So if you go back to Acts chapter 2, the scripture tells us some powerful things happened in and through these people because of the koinonia that they were having. So in verse 43, it says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. Now, this is not talking about the church. This is talking about the neighborhood, the people out there, not in the church, but the people out there were seeing something significant going on, and awe came upon the unbelievers because of what they were seeing, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders because of this koinonia. And then verse 47 says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. And so because of this koinonia, miracles were happening and people were coming to Christ daily. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.